What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast with Dave Crossland. I'm Scott McNally, and all of our programming is brought to you by you, the people of Patreon. Thank you very much for all your support. We are brought to you by evalbloodanalysis.com. If you're in the UK and you need to get some labs done, then you can call Dave. He'll come to your house. He'll do your labs. He might even rub your feet if you had a hard day at work. Reach out to him, evalbloodanalysis.com. And of course, uh, Strom Sports Nutrition for those of you in the UK. Hope you guys all called uh, Rick Foster. We left a number somewhere. I'm sure you guys found it. Uh, what do they say, Dave, when they call Rick? I watch drugs and stuff. I'm ringing up to claim my free supplement. Okay, yeah, that's what you do. And Rick will send you free supplements for the rest of your life. I, I pray somebody does this. I pray <laughs> we are brought to you by uh, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK for high-quality third-party tested supplements here in the U.S. And supplementsource.ca for our Canadians. They have great deals that change week to week. So, Dave, we are, we've got a bunch of stuff that we have going on today, um, as well as like, compounds and stuff talk. We have some listener questions. We have a guy who has been on for... T- 12 years and wants to come off um and we have uh, a bunch of other stuff so i i have a shout out please oh oh and we also are going to do a calf training we're going to give you a calf training workout you can take it home try it this week and then report next week to let us know how it went what's your who's your shout out what do you got romana scottson yes who works for us you've met romy she's great yeah the wide mouth frog um she competed in the olympia how did she do? I didn't even I didn't even pay attention to all the classes. So bear in mind, this is her third and only her third pro show, and she placed fourteenth in women's physique. Okay, okay. So out of seventeen, so I appreciate it. it's not the, the highest of placings, but considering it is her third only pro show, that's yeah. To think and it's her first year as competing as a pro. That's wild. She's so, put on a heck of a lot of muscle in the last year, too, hasn't she? She's done fantastic, mate. Um, and, you know, I mean, in one year, she placed second in a first pro show, first in a second pro show, qualified for the Olympia, went to the Olympia and placed 14th. You, That's a pretty solid rookie year, is that, to be fair? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, big shout out to Romana. We're all super proud of her. She's having a week off, I believe, in Florida at the moment, and then she's going to come back. And no doubt she'll start her plans for the next assault on the Olympia. But uh, really, really buzzing for her. Um, she's not coming back. You realize that, right? <laughs> she went to the U.S. She knows what it's like over here now. Once that's people do that, back. that's why. That's why people don't come back. They, no, she, she's, she's missing me. I mean, you know, I'm the most amazing boss ever to work for. So, so anyway, that is awesome. And the Olympia was great. But we have a bunch of um, non-Olympia related stuff going on. Uh, here's what I'm going to try to do is work the algorithm a little bit by talking about a real uh, friendly topic first. So we are going to do, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, what, what did we decide, Dave? We're going to talk a little bit about applications of which compound did we pick? We're going to do Superdraw, was it? Or? We didn't really decide. We, okay. So- well, we'll figure it out later then, but we're going to talk. Uh, well, no, like we could do Superdraw, that's fine. Okay. Well, then in that case, guys, we're going to talk a little bit about Superdraw, talk about its applications. But first, uh Let's talk a little calf training. This way we'll get the, you know, first few minutes out of the way. Very YouTube friendly. We can try a little experiment here. Is, is this a little experiment? So what you're trying to do is let the first few minutes be very YouTube friendly so they don't look any further. Yeah, it's all about calf training. That's all we're talking about today, guys. So, calves. It's something a lot of people struggle with, and I think in part they struggle with one because to do them properly, they hurt. And I mean, they hurt, hurt. Yeah. Uh, It is a whole different level of pain is calves to probably any other muscle group, to be fair. Uh, Calves are really dense muscle. And as a result, any sort of substantial pump in them is going to be very, very painful because that muscle is so tightly packed. In the first part, they do need quite a bit of warming up. Um, so I would make sure that you work through the full range uh, and you do a good couple of sort of 12, 15, 20 rep sets to just get some blood flow, get them warmed up. Um, now, calves respond very well 
to heavy work, but they also respond very well to high rep. And there's only one way you can get high rep and heavy work combined in the same set, and that's drop sets. And super draw. And super draw, yeah. So I, my personal approach, and I think this works very, very well, my clients hate it and hate me for it, but it does make their calves grow. I would start with a couple of high rep sets, anywhere between 12 and 20 reps, not heavy weight, just go through the motions, nice stretch, big stretch, and working over the fullest range is very important. All the way up to the top, don't go up and flex, go up and continue to try and pull. So when you get to the stop of the move, top of the movement, a lot of people will try and tense the calf. Don't, just keep trying to contract it. Just keep just, pushing. You mean pushing yeah, up? Just keep, trying, just keep trying to push up, keep trying to pull up, keep trying to pull up. And that way you'll have a natural maximum contraction of the muscle at the top. I like that. Um, and then what I would do personally is I'd work up in sets of six, quite relatively big jumps, because I want to be getting to max effort, max weight in about five, six sets. Um, I would do a set where I failed. And I, I genuinely failed, as in total muscular positive failure, at around four reps. Oh! I'd then drop, then drop that weight so I can get another two to four reps. Then drop that weight so I can get another two to four reps, and I'd do a minimum of three drops. So I'm pushing into the twelve, fifteen reps total. Okay. Um, those drops are probably you'll find that what you'll probably find is that the first couple of drops you're only getting an extra couple of reps. And then as you'll get to a point where even just one plate or one amount of weight drop down actually starts to produce quite a lot of reps. Okay. So um, how, what are your negatives looking like on this working set? Controlled. Everything okay. controlled. Tempo 1.5, 1.5. So controlled up, controlled down. I, uh, I like to switch between a lock knee and a soft knee. Okay. So I might do one set with a lock knee. I might do one set with a soft knee. Hmm. Is um, that two different machines you're using then? What are you doing? No, no, it's that standard cat phrase or toe oh. raises on a leg press. So I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Um, and then I would do three drop sets. You'll probably find that obviously the second and third set, your starting weight is going to be lighter than your initial one because obviously you've pre-fatigued from the set before. And then I'd finish with some very strict lock knee, full stretch, full extension, high rep sets of uh, 15 to 20 at least. Okay. So let me try to reiterate this to make sure I'm clear. First, we are warming up. Well, do you up. want me to give you an example of one of my workouts on calves? Okay. Yeah. You? But I'm just trying to, yeah, uh, you, you, you want to warm up and then what's next? Just list it off for me. What comes after the warm up? Okay. So yeah. I was looking at the standing car phrase at the gym we had. I had an exceptionally heavy stack. Yep. So my workout would start. I'd walk in. I'd put 120 pound on the standing car phrase and I'd do two nice controlled 15 plus sets. Okay. 15, 15 plus, plus reps, two of those. Reps. Yeah. Two of those, nice and controlled, making sure I'm getting a full stretch, making sure I'm getting a good pull at the top. Yep. I'd then most likely go somewhere around 300 pounds to a set of six, 450 pounds, set of six, 600 pounds, set of six, 750, 800, set of six. That's heavy. And then down to 1,000. And then the 1,000 is your working set. 1,000, I'd get four reps, maybe five at a push. Uh, and I would stay in that, in that, that, that failure set would be everything I had shaking like a shiting dog to get it up and, and more than. Then I'd drop probably 150 pound go again. Depending on that first failure rep, I might get two reps or three reps with his first drop weight. I'd then drop again, so I achieved another two or three reps. I'd then drop again, so I achieved another two or three reps. And then I'd drop again. And on that drop, I'm probably going to start getting into the six to eight range of reps. Okay. Because by this point, I'm probably down as light as 500 pounds, maybe even slightly less. Uh, and I'm not afraid of doing a drop, and if I only get one rep, that's fine. Just drop again and add an extra drop in so I get the total. Because what I'm aiming for is at least 12 to 15 reps in this super heavy 
drop. all the time stressing position. Okay. And that's going to be 12 to 15 total by the time yes. the set is done. Yeah. Okay. So that's a, that's a very um, brutal set. So that's one that, set. Yeah. And if I finish slightly on the lighter side and I get six or seven out at the end, great. I just squeeze them out until I, it's literally until I can't move. It's as right. simple as that. Then decent rest. And I, I would take a good, you know, 90 seconds, two minutes, maybe even two and a half minutes because the pain and pump at this point is going to be quite substantial. Yeah. And I'd go again. This time I'm probably going to be starting at about eight seven fifty. Okay, I just don't have that top end power anymore. But a very similar setup, uh, and then I go again after that. And on the third set, the weight drop at the start point is probably going to be not much different. So I'm still going to be around that eight seven fifty seven hundred mark as a start point. So it's three drop sets are your working sets. Three drop sets uh, with anything from three to five drops in them, depending on what reps I'm getting on each drop. Yeah, to get about a total of twelve is what you're 12 looking to 15, for. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a brutal set. And then how often and are then, you doing this? Twice a week. Okay. And then I'd go and I'd probably go in about three hundred pounds. Uh and I'd lock my knees straight. And I would do a continuous motion set until I just couldn't move again. And even to the point of, you know, as the shep, shep range diminishes, I'd keep just trying to keep moving until literally it was just inch, inch, not bouncing. This is the difference. This I'm not trying to pump these reps out. I'm still trying to move them under control, but I'd just go to the point where my movement was diminished down to a, like an inch, two inch, and then that would be the end of that set. And then based on how many reps I did on that set, I'd pick another weight slightly lighter and do the same high volume pump out again. And then that's it. That's for cars. And they add in some seated cars, but more traditional weights and rep ranges. But my major heavy compound, which for that particular gym was always standing because the machine was there to do it. As an alternative, I'd use leg press. Mm -hmm. uh, the only ball eight with leg press is obviously there's a lot of plate loading and stripping, which is a lot harder than just standing there uh, pulling a pin in. Right. Shoving a pin back in. Right. Um, and, and that would be that would be where I was at with it. I love heavy drop sets for cars because you get that massive overload, which that thick, dense muscle tissue needs, but then you get the volumization that you need to make them grow. You need the overload to break the tissue down in the first place, but you do need the volume on top of it. I like um, this. And I like I, this. It's, it, it's mentally destroying because it is pain is, is, second level to anything you've probably experienced in a muscle group before because like I said because that muscle fiber is so dense any information in there makes it super painful so um, common thread I'm seeing here is it's interesting you know by hosting podcasts I've had the opportunity to talk to a number of people you know over the years a lot of people who have their own philosophies on calves but when you start looking at what those common threads are the common thread I see between a lot of people, between what you're talking about, what Dave Palumbo had talked about. Let's not forget, Dave was 300 pounds at one point. He was a big dude. He's not the Dave we see today, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, uh, who else am I thinking of? Uh, John Meadows, a mountain dog. Hmm. All three of you guys and more people have talked about using an extremely, extremely heavy weight to get the calves to grow. Your your technique is different than the other two guys that I've, I've heard, and it's different than what I've suggested to people. Uh, for me, calves were something that always really grew easily for me, so I honestly have done very little uh, direct calf work. But I, I like this one, and I, I think I'll suggest this to some people in the future see what they get out of it. And people at home you guys should try this stuff and then let us know like comment next week you know comment on the on the the show come back try this and then tell us tell us how it went right dave well yeah i mean the other thing is that when you go up go up on your big toe so as you go up in the extension make sure you go up on your big toe that will focus it on the the big inner head of the calf uh, the outer head develops very, very easily. It's that big inner head that people struggle with. So you don't need to angle your toes out and your heels in. Uh, and, for, and for me, that's a very unnatural position. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm naturally pigeon-toed, so my toes naturally want to turn in. Okay. So, But you can avoid needing that by just making sure you load onto that big toe. Okay. Well, listen, let's um, move on. We've got a lot of stuff to cover here, including other things that are also YouTube-friendly, like discussing Superdraw for instance.
Mm. <laughs> we are pausing while Dave drinks water. For now, actually. Do you want to go fill me up? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'll be right back. Okay. I'll pause um, you. Hang on. <laughs> so, Superdrawl is a compound that initially, I think it gained its most popularity um, as a legal over-the-counter supplement sold by Gaspari Nutrition and a lot of other companies. Victoria told me that it was super popular when she was like post high school and or maybe even high school. She said the the like all the, the little gym bros, the guys who had no experience with any gear, they were all running it. And a lot of them mm-hmm. were getting gyno. A lot of them were getting strong. A lot of them were getting acne. They were getting all the symptoms and signs of using, you know, a really, really powerful oral compound. Um, even though it was over the counter, man, that stuff is, I'd consider it to be one of the stronger orals. What do you think? Yeah, it was, it's quite funny that it literally was an over the counter supplement because somebody in an office messed up. (laughs) Somebody in an office just missed it when they were classifying oral steroids and they just completely missed it. So as a result, it, I think it survived for about 12 months as an over the counter (laughs) supplement before it was reclassified. Yeah, yeah. So personally, I, um, I I never had a lot of success with it because I ended up getting um, a lot of appetite suppression, just like I have from Anadrol. Um, I did have a good run with withdrawal at one point, but but it, down the road, man, I I couldn't even finish the Superdrawal I had. I ended up giving it to a friend of mine to to use, and he had a he had a good run with it. I know you've taken the dosing higher than what I ever did or from higher than a lot of people I've talked to. I've heard more of the the 10 to 20 going into 30 and keeping it for short periods of time due to the side effects. But you've talked about running it longer than that, haven't you? I've run 60 comfortably for six eight weeks without any major issues. Uh, I don't particularly find it any more toxic shall we say than other orals okay yeah the sides may be a little bit more pronounced if you're prone to those sides yeah but actual stresses i haven't found it to be particularly more stressful than any other oral to be honest and it's i liked it uh i didn't particularly find any strength impacts but the fullness i got off super draw was next level um and i did run it for a period of time with with growth um and and that was a a very nice little combo from a point of view of physical fullness um it was that was that was particularly nice but i i mean it's as a compound it's viable i don't think it's a particularly great off-season compound i think it's more of a cosmetic compound i.e pre-show you know hardening you up bits and bats like that um it's not something i would probably go to as as um i think there are better orals that will give you better results for less stress compare it to anadrol for us i think ox are better uh if anything i'd say esterol is probably a little bit more side potential than anadrol um but i don't think either of them are are any more liver toxic than than say anything like d-ball or t-ball to be quite frank okay um i think the liver stress is pretty uniformed um estrol probably has a little bit more on the stress factors across the board superdrol estrol oh i see see i was spelling that out like estrol e-s-t-r okay Draw just like the yep. old the board days, right? That's where yeah, you're yeah, going yeah. with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adrol, yeah, yeah. Estrol. Yeah. yeah, I'm old, mate. Forget this. You know what I mean? I'm I'm 52, 53. I'm, you're, you're taking me back. I remember the board how old days. Am I? That's when you know you're getting old when you can't remember how old you are. I can't remember my kids' birthdays. No, <laughs> just don't tell them. They I don't watch the show, them, right? I think one of them has got one this week. Oh yeah. I think so. You should Not maybe sure. ask the wife about that. Find out. She says she says something about needing the weekend off because it was a birthday, but I wasn't really listening because she said she needed the weekend off and she wasn't getting it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lesson. It's a life lesson as you grow up. 
you realize that you have to just work on your birthday just like any other day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You don't get mental health days for your birthday. No. You don't get special treatment, Dave, because it's your birthday. So uh, anyway, back to Westro. The only place I use it really nowadays is two spots. One would be to strategically improve strength um, at the top end of an off season where we have already maxed out everything we're doing and we're looking to push just a little bit further um, second half tail last quarter of of a a run and uh, we may use it intermittently as a pre-workout several times a Mm -hmm. week Um, I find that I, I can do that for a few weeks before we start running into issues with appetite with a lot of guys and Mm -hmm. the other time i use it now which i i I mentioned i was going to start experimenting with this so the last year i have used uh astral more frequently in a contest prep right at the end for fullness and -hmm. it's fantastic for that that'd be yeah i agree those two spots are the number one places or the number one and two spot that i would i would put it otherwise i I don't really run orals anymore the old school traditional way where you would, you know, kickstart your cycle for the first eight no. weeks or whatever, you know. I I also think that <clears throat> Superdrol is going to be more forgiving condition-wise than oxymethylone would be. So if you use oxys, sorry, Anadrol, I'll speak American. If you use Anadrol as a pre-comp for fullness, mm-hmm. you need to be lean. Oh, because yeah. Because if you're not, it will punish you. Whereas Superdrol, I think you can get away with condition not being quite as sharp and huh. still get the fullness without as much of a negative impact as you would get if you tried to do that with Anadrol. Okay. So for me, if somebody's not their absolute most peeled, then I would probably lean more toward another heart, more hardening compound like Halo. Yeah, a Winstrol or Halo or something of that nature. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, that would be my first point, but you can get away with a bit of fullness of Superdrol without having the same rebound you're going to get if you try doing that with, with Anadrol if you're not quite sharp enough. Because if you take Anadrol and you're not sharp enough, you'll 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 smooth out faster than the baby's ass. I mean, you will you you'll look a mess pretty quick. You do need to be lean, or it will bite you. Whereas I think you've got a little bit more room for play with Superdrol with that. And what I've done is I've tested. I'll take a guy who is um, already in really good shape for their show, and we'll start running tests. You know, we'll be like, hey, let's run uh, Superdrol for each day we'll take 20 milligrams a day and then have them continue to check in each day and see what we get and and i usually find around three days is a pretty good marker if we were to run it say most shows happen on a saturday right so we if we run it thursday friday saturday that's usually a pretty safe bet with either anadrol or superdrol really either of those two yeah yeah, you, you run it with your load effectively for the most part um and, and you'll 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 do quite well with it. Yeah, a lot of times I've been loading guys earlier nowadays. I used to load them toward the tail end of the of the prep, it, like the let you know like Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and anymore now I try to get them loaded earlier, like Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe top it off on Thursday, and then Thursday, Friday, kind of let their stomach come back down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then we we reduce output, so they're not going to burn any more glycogen out of the muscle. Uh, so they're not they're not going to lose the fullness, you know. Um, and then and then all we need usually is like you know a good meal on on Saturday morning, and then we're boom ready to go. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I used to always do that. I used to always time it up. But you know what? I think one of the issues is is that then I'm cutting water off, right? And you need that water to um, help deliver the carbs to the muscle. So yes, I'm cutting do. water off while increasing carbs. It just then it just sits in your stomach, you know. <clears throat> well, it can do. I mean, the other thing obviously is, as you cut water off and leave a carb index quite high, you'll start to pull water from under the skin into the muscle, and and that's the the basic principle of it, isn't it? You know that you pick up excess water without glycogen and drive it into the muscle and at the same time dry yourself out while filling yourself up yeah all right so we had a bunch of questions here um and we do have one i see from alfonso in the live stream what's up everybody hanging out with us over at the uh think big facebook group and also on twitter dave we're live on twitter right now can you believe that 
So I'm tweeting, am I? You're tweeting as we speak. I've never tweeted before. <laughs> You're tweeting live in front of the people. Uh, thoughts on specialty bars, like the Buffalo Bar, Safety Squat Bars, um, the Mars Bar. I like guys- the Mars Bar. It tastes very nice. It's Mars Bar. <laughs> Do you see any benefits for bodybuilding, or is it purely for strength athletes? The Mars Bar is is very beneficial. I would use that as a pre-workout as often as possible. Do you guys have Mars uh, Bars there, I take it? Yeah, we have Mars Bars. Yeah, Do yeah. you have Snickers Bars? We do, yes. They used to be called marathons. Really? Do you have mm. Three Musketeer? No. No? How about Reese's you know, Fever. Cups. We, oh, yeah. in more recent times, Reese's has become more available, yes, but it, it's only in the last sort of few years. All right. What about Kit Kats? I feel like those are kind yes. of international. Yes. All right. We have Kit Kats. Right. You guys have good chocolate over there, by the way. Better chocolate yeah, than the U.S., Japanese have some weird Kit Kats. Yeah, they do. There's weird stuff like seaweed and <laughs> all sorts of stuff, you know. Photo flavors over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, back to bars. I, I, I don't see a benefit from them in in a, in a particular that they're going to add an extra dimension to muscle stimulation or anything like that. But at the same time. You need to be interested in your training. You need to enjoy your training. And if using a specialist bar adds a level of enjoyment and interest and keeps it fresh for you, then I've got no issue with it. I I, I really haven't. I don't see any harm coming from them. That's what I was thinking. There's a popularity with, like, particularly with a safety bar for squat. And I get it and I don't get it. Um, And I'll explain why. So... One reason it's became quite popular is the fact that you don't have to have the shoulder rotation flexibility to actually be able to grab the bar and do a back squat. Yeah. But in a way, that's sort of like, well, what you're doing, the fact that you had to be able to get under a squat about a squat was actually what's probably saved my shoulder mobility for quite Uh, a long time because it made I had to stay to a level of flexibility to be able to get under there. Sure. And if I had just gone to the safety bar squat, then the chances are my shoulder mobility would have got much worse. Yeah. So there's an element of use them for variety by all, all accounts, use them because you enjoy them by all accounts. But if you're using them to avoid a mobility problem, do it as a temporary measure while still working on improving your mobility so you're not reliant on that bar rather than just move to that bar because you're too damn lazy to sort your mobility out because yep. that's only going to make your ability worse and it's only going to end up biting you on the ass more severely further down the line. Yeah. I have the uh, transformer bar. It's a safety squat bar. And then the, you know how the, um, the plates, the, like the bar goes out and then goes down and then mm. the plates come out. You can rotate the plates forward. So it's like mm. a front squat. The plates come out mm-hmm. in front of you. And I agree with you, man. You know what? It, to me, that bar is just fun. It's the same way I look at bands. Like bands can change the strength curve on an exercise and it, it can just make the exercise different and mm. bring some excitement to your workout. You know, you've been doing training for 20 years the same old thing gets kind of old, you know, at times. Yeah, you can do, yeah. And, and you know, a leg press is a leg press. Yeah. <laughs> you see, yeah. What you're going to do with it is a leg press. You know, a 45-degree sled is a 45-degree sled. There's, there isn't a much you can do with it, but obviously play with some bands. You can change the tension points. You can change where the loading is. Uh, so there's there's all sorts of things you can start to play with with stuff like that. And, and I agree. Uh, I'm not a big fan of this bands to take load off but I quite like bands to put load on. Yeah. I, I I could go either way. I think that if you're taking load off the bottom, that allows you to, say, overload the top. So if you say, like I, I've done, um, I think it can be used to, people are overusing it to the point where now, you know, their their hack squat is super light at one end. You know what I mean? But I think the danger there is, though, that you start to develop, a, instead of developing a strength curve, you start to develop a weakness curve. And you end up where the bottom end of the range of motions becomes weak. 
which then massively increases your risk of injury where I would want I've always wanted the weak part of my movement to be stronger I could see that here uh, look at this though so I, I've used well and I'll use the squat as an example and and it all depends too like there's limits how much are you deloading I'm not talking about mm -hmm. taking like a big fat band but let's say that you use a reverse band on a squat free weight barbell uh -huh. squat and you have it hooked uh -huh. to the top of your rack uh -huh. you're bringing those bands down and let's say it deloads just enough that let's say you can only squat 285 okay but then you can put 315 on the bar with these little tiny bands and it, it helps you to to stay safer in that most vulnerable position at the bottom but then you can you can still use that strength because as you rise the weight is getting harder as your body is getting in in a less vulnerable position so i i don't know i i see it as the opposite i see it as i can build my overall strength with the the band of course it's not the only thing you do you know what i mean it's not I, like i get that i see my viewpoint on that is i'm not a powerlifter. all i'm interested in is stressing the muscle yeah but you can stress the and that me too so you can stress the muscle further than you would have been able to otherwise because you couldn't have handled say the 315 in the hole but you can handle it when your legs are you know at 90. well then get stronger in the hole well you will you will. You'll continue to get stronger, but you can always, as you get stronger, you'll always be stronger at the top. So there. And I, I just, I, I think that leads to an encouragement of shortening of ranges and various other aspects. But each for me, own, at the end it of the improves day. the range because I feel more confident <sighs> to go all the way down. I think we're. This is an argument of half empty, half full, isn't it? I don't. I don't think we'd ever agree on this one. At the no, end of the day. that's okay. We don't have to agree on everything. Never mind. <laughs> All right. So we had a we had a listener who had been on gear for twelve years. Okay, and he he was saying that he wanted to come off. He tried to come off everything. The guy was a power lifter, really strong dude, jacked dude too. Okay, he comes off. Uh, he hasn't. I don't think he's run a cycle in a, quite a while. But he's been on continued TRT. So he comes off. He has a terrible experience. Um, I'm not putting the question up because I don't want to identify him. Um, but he uh, he has a terrible experience. He says he feels like garbage, mental fog, yada, yada, muscle loss, weakness, just life fell apart. So he talked to a psychiatrist. He talked to a researcher, talked to his wife. He went back on TRT. But he's asking, can he do some type of a PCT and recover his natural testosterone production? It's... On paper, it would suggest that it's unlikely. Um, he would need to do a PCT, and it would have to be a particularly aggressive one. Yeah. Um, it would be scallies and then some. And probably uh, longer. You can. You don't have yes, to do it in I, a short time, you know? No, I think you'd be looking at at least an eight-week PCT, at yeah. least, uh, and possibly... Uh, is it going to be successful... It's, I think, to be honest, it's most, it's probably unlikely. However, I have seen people that have been suppressed for an extended period of time capable of recovering. So it is not impossible. However, it is unlikely. He, he could also try treptorolin. Oh, yeah. I've seen that work. I mean, everyone quotes the Italian bodybuilder or whatever it was, powerlifter, 10 years suppression, one shot, and he recovered. I've never seen follow-up from that, and I have seen people where they've shown recovery and then six months later they've crashed again. So, yeah, yeah. I've seen that uh, with traditional PCT as well. Yeah, so I would I would suggest start with a, an aggressive PCT, something like Scalys, but extend it slightly. Not particularly the HCG element, more the... Um, Clomid and Novadex element, um, but you may even even look at potentially doing your typical PCT HCG blast, then bring in your serms, and then after a good three four weeks, do another HCG, not as aggressive, hmm. to give those Lady cells a second kick up the arse to try and get them fully recovered, 
and so it's almost like a PCT and a half. You sort of restart it halfway through, but at a lower dose of uh, ACG. Yeah. You'd then have to give a good four weeks drug clear to see how you were responding. Um, if that was unsuccessful, then your next thing on the line is going to be tritreptorin, 200 microgram single shot. Uh, and again, you're going to have to wait four to six weeks to see if it's taken effect. But what you can do in between that time is look at over-the-counter tests, support, mm. stuff like Toncat, Tribulus, DAA, Macaroo. There's a few others as well. Uh, and I know people poo-poo over-the-counter test boosters but they do in quite a lot of situations they do actually help no they're not going to get you super pharmacological no. but when your test is sub subpar they can bring it up quite quite successfully um there are cases and i can't give you specifics but i do recall cases of where people have recovered but it's taken 12 months or 18 months before they fully have yeah, And there's some Dutch research showing, and this is quite interesting, and I've never seen this repeated anywhere. They took a batch of people post-cycle and didn't give them any PCT, and then a batch of people post-cycle with PCT, and they found very little difference in the recovery rates. So I've seen the opposite. In fact, I grabbed a statistic that I saw. They, there was a recent article or in a recent study done about um, the use of um, you know illicitly purchased anabolics and uh, guys they said they in this this research study I could find it for you I just grabbed this little bit they said that from the people that were doing PCT compared to the guys that weren't 48 percent of them um, recovered um, versus 38 percent of them that did not use PCT recovered so there was like there was a slight difference there mm. yeah the dutch one shows very little difference at all but in both these cases there's so many factors that aren't considered i.e were the repeat years. users yeah were the yeah. repeat users what were their drug doses what were their ages you know all these factors play into it and actually sure. i don't think either of those i know i don't think the dutch one goes into it in that much depth so but it's yeah that the there seems to be a strong feeling within the dutch research community that pct is a waste of time really there is an endocrinologist i believe he's from king's college over here that is looking at repeating a pct study okay uh now his goal I think, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm right with this, it's a while since I spoke to him, was that if this study was successful and proved that PCT was effective, that they were then going to start looking to see if it was possible to offer PCT as part of a cessation program on the NHS within the UK. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, how that springs up, though, all sorts of, of ethical problems and logistical problems, because if you're going to be a steroid user and then decide you no longer want to use and you go to your doctor for support and he prescribes you PCT, fine. But how do you stop that system being abused by people that go just to get PCT and then go back on gear again? Yeah. And and how do you make that distinction? And can you even make that distinction? Because the NHS has certain rules and regulations built into it. The NHS Charter does state that it's free medical health care for all, non-prejudiced medical health care. We know in reality that's not quite true. Okay. But it is part of their charter. So I don't know how you would govern supplying pct to people as a free national service without some form of regulation to prevent people from abusing the system and just getting free pct every time they finish the cycle fair enough so i i do think you bring up good points uh, 12 years on is a big factor um i know that he's not an old guy yet so i, I could say he probably spent most of his 20s which is a time mm -hmm. when your body normally is producing high testosterone he probably spent a lot of his 20s during that phase on you know being suppressed so i mean is it is it the worst thing at the end of the day to have to go on to stay on pct i almost feel like we one of the things we've talked about before is that you've already made the decision years ago and now 
you you know you you just have to kind of unfortunately live by the decision you made in a lot of these cases well, it, you know? it's you, you've bought it on finance haven't you and now you've got to pay the price it's as simple as that um and I, I don't mean that harshly because yeah, you know i deal with people every week that have come into the realization that they are now going to be trt dependent and that for most isn't an issue but what can be an issue is the implications of that yeah you know the fertility risks from that, and, and the fact that there'll be some long-term healthcare management needed put in place because of that. Um, so, yeah, it's it's. I think we all get into this to an extent, knowing the risks, but we just don't always comprehend or understand those risks. Um, you know, and I think uh, I, I suppose finance is a really good way of of making it relatable. You know, you buy a car in finance and you sort of look at the monthly figure, you don't always look at the fact that it's that monthly figure for five years, and in five years, a lot of things can change. Yeah. Uh, and then you're two and a half years into a finance plan, realizing that that noose around your neck of whatever you're paying a month is now a big problem for you because you're stuck. All right. I'm going <coughs> to run through a few of these. I'm going to try an experiment and not bring them up on screen this week. We'll see if, if that helps us in any way. Um, is Proviron still worth running with DECA? Um, or is it just an outdated practice from the golden era where people needed uh, that uh, needed the AI properties of a DHT? Uh, is it safe to say either Primo or Mast would serve the same purpose um, and be anabolic, making them a better choice? Or is there any magic to Proviron? I don't think there's any magic. I think a big problem with Proviron is a lot of the stuff that's out there is garbage. Oh, really? Proviron does have anti-estrogenic properties. Um, it's probably similar-ish to aromacin uh, in that sense, in its effectiveness. Oh, okay. Uh, maybe slightly less. Uh, obviously, it is an anabolic, but as an anabolic, it's completely useless. It's metabolized in muscle tissue and doesn't really do much on that front. It does lower SHBG. But here's, here's the real world of this. Um, a cycle is probably going to put your SHBG into the low teens. Okay. Bear in mind, lower limit, I think, is low 20s. Um, so it's going to put it anywhere between sort of 8 and 15 is a general sort of commonality of what we see. SHB, uh, sorry, uh, Proviron will probably knock SHBG down to sort of 5 to 10. So you're not seeing a huge change in the lowering of SHBG by using Proviron with a, with a normal cycle. Hmm. If that cycle contains DHTs, that SHBG lowering is going to be greater. Yeah. Um, so again, there is potentially less argument to use Proviron to lower SHBG full stop and definitely in a cycle including DHTs. Primo is a very effective anti-estrogen and seems to be very much across the board. Mast scientifically says that it should be more of a serm-like action than it should be an anti-estrogen action, but there's plenty of evidence to show it has an anti-estrogen effect and there's plenty of people that have good control on what they do yeah. report that it lowers it. But it does seem to be a little bit person-dependent. It doesn't seem to be always as effective in some people as others. But we also have this background of, are they using mast? What have they really got as a drug? When we were always going to have that problem in the background. So for me, Proviron, I, I don't really see the point anymore. Yeah, I'd kind of felt that way for a long time because cost too was mm. not it wasn't cheap and so for the longest time I, my thought had always been why not just run mast instead that's kind of i i figured that out a decade plus ago i did yeah, buy proviron once and i got i got it it was uk pharma I, it was well it was from the uk and it was pharma they came in these little tiny glass bottles you ever see those dave no. like, it was like a little glass bottle it was very cute there was like 20 of them per bottle and they were you know Super expensive. I, I don't really see the justification of the argument to lower SHBG and create more free tests because your cycle's doing that anyway. Sure. Um, as an anti-estrogen, I find it, nah, not the most effective, and there's definitely better ways to manage estrogen. Um, 
using another anabolic is not always the solution. People like that because they think, well, I'm getting an anabolic as well, but you're also pushing your total anabolics up and that might not be where you really need to be at that point if you've got a dose limitation or, or you don't want to go above a certain dose in having to include a DHT for estrogen management can limit what you can do. Um, and of recent years, we have this hate campaign against AIs and ICE. <laughs> they are a tool for a job and they're perfectly adaptable and useful at that job if that's what you use them for. So there isn't, I don't see any increased negativity on health using ADEX or aromacin, and aromacin is particularly a nice anti-estrogen, uh, than using Mast or Primo to deal with the same problem. You know, it's, it's if anything, the, the AIs are less impacting on your health than the fucking Master Primo is. So it, it seems a bit of an oxymoron, does that to me? But in our society, anything that gives you the excuse to use more drugs will always be viewed as a good idea. Right. All right. What do you think of HCG on cruise with 125 milligrams of test a week? That's all we got on that one. No, no explanation as to why. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some some people get a lot of... I've, I've known TRT clients get a huge amount from HCG from a point of view of cognitive function and, and just general well-being. Uh, we do have HCG receptors in the brain. Uh, others, not so much. It's used because it can help with pregnenolone and other stuff. Uh, it can also help maintain high levels of ITT in the testicles, which will help maintain fertility. So there are a few benefits from using it. But not everybody gets these bonuses out of it. So it, it, it's, I, I personally feel, start your TRT, add it in. If you feel a benefit from it, fine, keep it. If you don't, then the choice is yours at the end of the day. Yeah. Useful if you're nervous about fertility, though. I'd definitely keep it in if you're nervous about fertility. Here's an interesting one from Sherilyn Smallwood, 8671. She asked... My left arm is a lot smaller than my right. What can I do? Thanks. I was going to be rude then, but I'll change. I won't be. Yeah. It's a girl, Dave. You know, you know I know, but it's uh, what? And that's, you can be nice. Be, that's what I'm saying. Be nice. Be nice. This is not locker room talk with Dave. This is the podcast yeah, with Dave. There's, a, there's an episode for you. <laughs> <laughs> YouTube will love that. Uh, I wonder why. I, I wonder why. Why is her arm small? Why is it smaller? Is there a nerve thing going on? You know? It, well, yeah. The first thing is would be to rule out any physical problem that's creating this, uh, this differences in size. I think as well, unfortunately, for a lot of us, we can get hyperfixated on yes. imbalances that to everybody else aren't even there but yeah. we think they are or we see they are um so the first thing is rule out anything physical be it nerval or muscular or an impingement wise that's stopping anything from causing that arm to be balanced with the other one uh i'm not a great believer in doing a priority on one arm from a volume or exercise point of view yeah i prefer to train to the weakness so my smaller arm or my unbalanced arm would be my primary arm. Um, so I would do single arm work and I'd always start the set with the weaker arm. And when that arm failed, then that's the end of the set. Even if I had two, three more reps with my strong arm, they wouldn't get done. So I would always train to the limits of my weaker side and use that then to push my weaker side up because that's my priority. That's where I'm focusing everything on. Yeah, all my failure efforts are going into my weak side, and I've always found that to balance them out quite quickly. And, and within a matter of a couple of months, I would see things to be much more even and much more level, and then I could go back to priority in both arms at the same time. Yeah, it's interesting if you take if you take like if you sliced someone down the middle, and then you doubled their left side, and then you doubled their right side to you know make two different. They would look like two different people. You know, they would, yes. Yeah. They really would. It's kind of trippy. I would I would like to do that, actually, just as an experiment. We could do it with you some of the... You want to cut people up and stitch them back together? 
Yeah, that's exactly what I said, Dave. That's exactly what I was getting at. You, you figured you it out. You just said you wanted to do that to people. You wanted to slice them down the middle and then ditch them back together. What is it? Some sick sort of, you know, centipede film or something yeah. going on here? Photoshop. I was going to do it with Photoshop, but you you could go that route too, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be curious. I'd be curious. And I think you're right. I think unilateral uh, unilateral work would be the route to go. Oh, this isn't a question. This is just something I grabbed. Um, check this out. So this, there was a, an article talking about the number of private labs that are being done out there. Sales of direct-to-customer test topped $3.6 billion in the United States in 2022 and are predicted to grow. Some of that spending is coming from people, mostly men, using illegally obtained gear. I probably shouldn't have put this up there. I didn't want that word to be on the show today. Um, to build muscle. That's interesting, isn't it? Three. It's I mean, a I've, growing business. I find it interesting that they've actually pointed out the, the steroid market in that. Now, I don't know if that's because that's part of a more steroid-specific piece. Or it was, yeah. Right, right, I was going to say, because otherwise, I find it very weird that someone's discussing blood testing, but they actually pull out of that that there's a massive growth in, in steroid testing around blood testing. Yeah, they were saying that, um, you know, they're, that, that, that people, men, young men are turning to, you know, illegally channeled uh, gear. Terrible, and, that, you know, absolutely terrible. I know, it's, it is. Today, it I is. know. We would have never done that as kids, Dave. No, never would have no. done that, you know. No, not in my day, mate. Not at all. And uh, that they're afraid to turn to their doctors. They're getting basically chastised by their doctors. And so now they're taking it in. The article was about how a lot of young men are taking their lab work and their health into their own hands and doing do-it-yourself lab work, basically. Yeah, I mean, from the, from the UK's point of view, it's just because it's not available otherwise. Yeah. Um, and that's backed up then with a medical prejudice that is is very obvious and, and very apparent and has even been recognized at a research level that there is a strong medical, medical prejudice against users in the UK. And I know that's some of this repeated in Australia as well. They have a big issue with that as well, um, which is driving the private market so strongly. But, I mean, what we've seen as a company is more of a growth in non-users. Hmm. I find so, that fascinating. Yeah, so we're seeing more and more non-users come in just because they can't get the testing they want yeah. through their doctor. And I think as as a people, as a people, yeah, well, as a nation, we're more aware of the significance of blood testing and more aware of the fact that we can go and get bloods done and yeah. look at a lot of areas because we don't have faith in our doctors and we do feel that they're not looking deep enough. Yeah. Um, and so we can go away, we can get bloods done, we can look for problems that we think are there, and then if they are, we can then take that evidence to the doctor and go, see, told you so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I got one more for us, Dave. So it's after Halloween already. Um, in this, uh, this comment, <laughs> Dave, 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 this comment was left for us, um, like right at Halloween. I know you had a couple ghost stories <laughs> and, uh, the, the question though was, uh, well, the statement, uh, haunted stories episode. Can you tell us uh, a ghost story, Dave? I've got two, very three. Which one do you want? Do you want three. the... Do you want the four? Do you four? Want the one, that, one that happened to my mother. Do you want the one in the nightclub on the steps? Do you want the moving door handle at the house? Or do you want the pin to the bed? Um, I thought, okay, I don't know the one that happened to your mom. So mm. th let's hear that one and let's hear the steps one. Those Because I heard the steps one before. That was really good. It's been a long time. And I bet a lot of, of our listeners Well, have the nightclub it. step ones. You've heard the nightclub step one. Yeah, you told me that one a long time ago. Okay. okay. I think so. So, so my mom, she never, she never, never claimed or, or said she was in any way clairvoyant or anything of that nature. But she did seem to have... 
I don't know, almost a sensitivity. Um, it would be weird stuff, but but she just had a sense about things sometimes to do with ancestors and past and stuff like that. You know who else has that? Victoria. <laughs> yeah, she does. She does. She Victoria will sense stuff. She'll know stuff like before she knows it. And mm. she she's been able to like she she's she's got something something some connection there and maybe it just has to do with like being a smart person being super perceptive but there's something there. My so my mom went to a pub with my dad. Okay. Um, and they walked into this pub and and it was empty really. There was you know maybe half a dozen people in there. And they were going to get a drink, and they sat down with this drink, and my mum's being very uncomfortable, uh, very unsettled, and my dad asked her what's wrong. And she just went, it's too busy in here. Huh. I can't hear myself think, we'll have to go. And, and she forced my dad to leave. Okay. And when I spoke to her about it, she said it was really hard to explain because it, it, she said it was almost like I was in a packed pub, but my eyes were closed. So I'm not seeing anybody. It's not like I'm sat there and I'm seeing ghosts walking around this pub and, you know, people sat there. She goes, I can see that there's not many people in the pub and I can see there's not many people there. But what I'm sensing is a busy, bustling pub. Yeah. And almost an oppressively busy, bustling pub. Huh. Like I'm in the corner and everybody stood over me and I'm sat down low, you know, and everybody stood up and I feel a little bit enclosed and trapped. Uh, and she's like, I just couldn't stand it there anymore it was huh. she goes i didn't feel particularly threatened yeah she said but the best way i could describe it she said was if you went into a busy nightclub and then sat on a chair in the middle of the busy nightclub you'd be surrounded by bodies and you'd feel quite vulnerable and you'd feel quite enclosed and you'd feel quite yeah weak because you one you're at a lower height so you've, you're underneath everybody Right. She goes, and that was just how it felt. She said, I just felt incredibly oppressed almost. Uh, but just, just it was just like it was a super busy place and I was just stuck in a corner and, and the rest, you know, everything was just too busy for me to go with. Yeah. Um, and then I used to work at a nightclub called the Coliseum in Halifax. Uh, it's called, might even be called Attic or something now. I'm not sure it's changed hands a few times. And unbeknown to me, well, I knew it was an old cinema building because it was quite an ornate building. Yeah. But I didn't know anything else about it. And my job at the end of the night as one of the doormen was to go around with the chains and chain all the fire doors. Okay. So what we had to do for one of them was there was uh, two floors to this. Um, and there was a main entrance to the club that you went in in the front. And then you could, from the club, up a staircase, access an upper floor that was made to look like Main Street and or New Orleans. So okay. there was actually a tarmac road in the middle and these bars either side of it. Huh. Um, and then this also had a street-level entrance where you went in and up some steps in the corner. And I used to have to go up, go through the back doors of one of the the, the build, well, the mock buildings that made it look. So it was like a, a stage set, really, a movie set. And go down this back access route to go to a backfire exit that let out into the, the road behind the whole building. So I've got all these chains and padlocks over my shoulders and I've wandered down the steps and this is dark and dingy and, you know, as creepy as you can fucking like. And you're pretty creepy with you too. There's some well, like I, I mean, big I, giant I, guy I, with chains all over him. I do this every night I work. So, it, you know, it's just normal to me. Yeah, of course. So I go and I chain up the back doors. I come back. I start going upstairs. I've got my head down because I'm not really paying any attention. There's nobody about. I know where I'm going. And I get to this point, And you know when you just know there's something in front of you? Yeah. I stop dead. And it's like, I know there's something there. So I look up and there's nothing. Nothing at all. Huh. But I can't step forward. I have to take a step to the side. Then step forward. Everything in front of me is telling me this. There's, there's that I, you know, there's a blockage there, but I can't see anything. Huh. And when I step through the next two steps, it goes freezing cold, and then it goes to normal. Weird. So yeah, I'm, I'm not freaked out, freaked out, but obviously I'm a bit. That's a bit fucking odd. I'm fucking weird. Is that shit? So I went to Andrula, who ran one of the restaurants, and she's been in the club for years, and she knew the history of the place. 
And she's like, well, you know, it used to be an old cinema. And I said, yeah, I know that. She goes, yeah, but did you know it burnt down? That's why it stopped being a cinema. I went, no, I didn't realise there was a fire. She goes, yeah, there was a fire and the projectionist got burnt to death. Huh. That's why it closed as a cinema, because there'd been a fatality in it, and then it was bought out and refitted and converted into a nightclub. All right. And she said the projection room was directly above where you were stood. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> that was a different story than the one you had told that I, I was thinking it was. That's okay. that's weird. That's weird. Yeah. I've been reading a book about um, the uh, uh, northern Michigan, the uh, Upper Peninsula, and uh, I actually I, I'm reading a bunch of them now. The first one I read was like haunted stories of the Upper Peninsula, and now I'm reading just a history book about crimes that happened in the Upper Peninsula. And so this is like the 1800s, the last stagecoach robbery stuff like that. And um, man, there is some crazy stuff up there. And there's one town called Calumet and it's it's up in Copper Harbor there's a Keweenaw Peninsula the very northern Michigan it's a 12-hour drive from here Dave that's like you're still in Michigan but it takes a 12-hour drive to get through Michigan and go there and back in the 1800s it was the most booming spot of the state like now it's desolate there's nobody up there there's a college and a small college community and it, it's so cold though not a lot of people live up there but due to the copper mining and then the coal mining south or east of that uh there was the, like people were coming from all over the world in fact there was a big um strike in 1913 to 1915 um and in in the in the mines and the British, they started like a bunch of English people started coming over from Cornwall. Um, they, I guess that they have um, what do they what do they mine there? Ore, iron ore, tin. They'd have been coming out of tin mines because okay. that industry was yeah that industry started to collapse so and, and be mechanized, which uh, obviously cost people their jobs. So I don't know when that was. So I might have got my timings wrong, but I think okay. But because that will be tin miners looking for a new job, effectively. Yeah, because they were so skilled as miners, they got real mm -hmm. good jobs when they came to Michigan mm -hmm. because they they would get like a foreman job or a supervisor job because they they could tell people what to do because they grew mm -hmm. up in the mines in Cornwall. Anyway. This town had uh, a, a theater called the Italian Theater, and three days before Christmas or something, there was like 700 people in this building, and somebody yelled fire, okay? And when they yelled fire, everybody tried to come down the stairs. People got trampled. 72 people end up, ended up dying in this incident. Jeez. There was no fire. There was no fire. And a lot of them were the children. There was like... Mm. You know, a bunch of these, most of them were kids. That So it was like a huge tragedy that happened up there during this strike is when it happened. And there, there was some thought, too, that it was maybe people who were working with the mining company that were trying to disrupt the Christmas that the miners were having, all this stuff. Anyway, um, that town, Dave, I've been to Calumet, and I stayed in Calumet. It is the creepiest town you've ever been to because it's it's like all closed down now okay the downtown area it's empty but all the buildings are there still the italian theater is gone at this point they still do have the archway of it and they have a memorial plaque there but to think there and that was only one story this is the whole town is these 1800s miners homes turns out how did i find out about this place i i my uh ex knew somebody at work who had a house in Calumet. So we we drove up there to stay at this house that her family owned. And the second we walked in, now we never saw anything in this house. We never, nothing moved. There, there were no lights flickering, anything like that. But the second we walked in that house, I could swear we made a mistake that we walked into somebody's home. You get that feeling like somebody's right around the corner in there. I, I had a house I lived in in Honley that was like that, where you always felt you were in the way of somebody. It was a heavy feeling like like we literally were like, no, we made a mistake. Walk back out, even though we turned the key and the key worked. It was the creepiest thing, Dave. Like we stayed there for a few days. I couldn't sleep. Like I could, it was in the second you walk out of the house, it was like the, 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 the energy just lifted 
But when you were in there, it was real heavy and it was like kind of hard to breathe and you constantly felt like you're being watched. And when we slept in the house, there was a small, they turned their back porch into an addition. So it was like a screened in back porch and they had a futon out there and a little TV. We stayed in that room. Like that's where we slept. I was not sleeping upstairs in that house. It was the creepiest thing in the world, man. And that was just one home of... I think a lot of haunted stuff in Calumet, Michigan. I, if you remember ages ago, I did that travel channel documentary thing on the pig man of Roanoke where I played oh. the pig man. Yeah. Yeah, of course. But that's, there's a load of stories about that, about where he was supposed to have lived and everything and cars suddenly stopped working and people seeing eyes looking him out of the front. There's a load of ghost stories attached to that story. Yeah. And you played the pig man. I did play the pig man, yes. We should find that video and and put it up here. I think I watched it on TV or something. I did see that episode. That was you, good. You, you you wouldn't know it was me unless you knew me. You know, if you know what I mean, you're not going to recognize me. I'm no, yeah. I'm not particularly featured. <laughs> yeah. You were just a strong, imposing character is what you were for that. Anyway... We appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, and if you guys have any questions for the next episode, leave them below. We appreciate you know having you here and everybody in the live stream. Um, Dave, are you accepting new clients right now? I am, yes. Uh, I'm also taking sign-ups for next year because uh, I appreciate a lot of people. The approach to Christmas is financially taxing. Okay. Uh, and So what I tend to do at this time is, though I will take new clients on, that's not a problem at all, is I sort of open my books for January as well. So if people want to register interest for January, they can do. Um, so, so yeah, that the, all the usual shit, really. You know, if pillars have just finished. I'm not going to run another one. I don't. Oh well, I could squeeze one in just before Christmas if people wanted. But chances are, I'll leave it till New Year. Um, but coaching is normal. All the usual stuff is normal. Okay, we'll have uh, Dave's contact info below for social media. Of course, reach out to me, McNallyDiets at gmail dot com. Oh, and James had—I think James had a horror story for us as well. He said, um, "I work in a hospital, and an old—and uh, an old story was that one night one of the nurse practitioners was called to the cardiac to a cardiac arrest. As she ran up a few flights of stairs, she came across a man looking quite distressed." She stopped to talk to him and asked him, uh, was he okay? But he didn't answer her. After uh, another, uh, any other time, she would have stayed with him, but she was in a rush to the cardiac arrest. When she finally got where she was going, it was the same man she had seen at the stairs. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Now entering the twilight zone. How about that? We just change our show to ghost stories with Dave. Hey, I'd, like, I'd watch that. I'd tune into that. All right. Uh, of course, reach out to uh, Strom Sports Nutrition. You can, if you don't have uh, Richard Foster's number, you can find him on social media and just drop him a DM. And what do what do they tell? What do they tell uh, Richard? I watch drugs and stuff, um, or I watch the podcast. Can I have my free supplement, please? Yes, that's it. And then he'll send you free supplements for life. That's all it takes because he's there to help you reach your goals with bodybuilding. Yes. Thanks, Rich. Also, uh, check out Stra let's, uh, excuse me, evalbloodanalysis.com. You can uh, reach out to Dave for labs. Um, of course, supplementsource.ca for Canadians. TrueNutrition.com for us in the U.S. Use our code THINK. And um, who else are we forgetting? Oh, the Patreon people. Thank you guys for your support. We'll see you guys soon. Thanks, Dave. Nah. <laughs>